Welcome to KJV Cafe, where the truths of God's Word come alive. Grab a hot cup of coffee or tea and spend some time learning about our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen now to Pastor Clark Covington of Heartland Community Baptist Church as he explores great insights from the Word of God. Amen. Glory to God. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the cafe. Pastor Clark Covington here with another episode of KJV Cafe. We're in episode four or part four of a five-part series on what the Lord is telling us to do here in this new year by virtue of what he wrote to the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. We realize here this kind of paradox, this time we're living in. We're living in the last times, and it's a new year. We're living in the end times, and it's a new year. And what do people typically do in the new year? They say, hey, let me start fresh. You know what? I'm going to clean my house once a day or whatever it is. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to sign up or whatever it be. I'm going to download some app and make sure that I, you know, take time to uh, read my Bible or to eat right or whatever it is. People make a lot of resolutions in the new year. And here I believe the Lord is clearly telling us to resolve to live godly. 1 Timothy 4.8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So we see a contrast here, Paul writing to Timothy, that bodily exercise uh, is profitable only a little bit. It's not that it's not profitable. It's good. It's good to exercise for so many reasons. But think about the overall profit from it. I went to the gym uh, in the fall for a season there. I ended up pulling a muscle because <laughs> I'm 43 now, and that's what people that are 43 do. They pull muscles. But uh, I was uh, in the gym, and, and I was spending a lot of time on this one machine. I don't know what it was called, but it's like an elliptical, and you're also running. Man, I'd spend an hour on this thing, and I'd be sweating. I feel like I'd be burning calories, but I really wasn't getting in, in great shape or anything. You know, I was just going home just kind of feeling like, ugh. Uh, Compared to, say, going for a run and you're just like, oh, you can tell you really got a workout in. And that's kind of, you know, what bodily exercise is like in the sense that, yeah, you might be feeling a little bit better and, you know, your clothes fit better and, you know, you you may have more energy and sleep better and so forth. There's profit in it, but it's kind of material. It's surface level. It's got to be tended to over and over again. And in the end, uh, we may, you know kind of keep back uh, the hands of time a little here or there, but we really can't dramatically change the hands of time. There's perfectly healthy people that will die at a young age, and uh, one out of one will die uh, at some point unless the rapture occurs before then. Whereas spiritual exercise is profitable uh, for life now and for life that is to come, Paul tells us. It's profitable for life now as we live godly and exercise godliness. Uh, We are praying, we're studying the word, we're spending time with the Lord in fellowship and prayer, we're drawing close to him, we are living as he calls us to live, we're doing our best to follow the commandments. Man, I could go on and on about the benefits of godliness and as a parent, you know, oftentimes I think about that and weighing and balancing, okay, I need to discipline the, my child because the Bible says uh, that, you know, we don't love our children if we spare the rod, but then I don't need to provoke them to wrath. And then does that apply, you know, to the little kid as well as the teenager? Because I know we don't want to provoke that teenager to wrath and then on and on. But guess what? You know, out of these kind of discussions and labors in my mind as I meditate on the word, profitable things happen, amen. But it's not just a profitability now, not just 
just a piece now, though it's wonderful. We have that piece that surpasses all understanding. But it's a profitability for eternity in heaven. And we see here that Jesus addresses the church of Philadelphia, one of the seven churches that Christ addresses in the book of Revelation. This is chapter three, where he addresses the church of Philadelphia, which is in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. The church was weak in some respects of little strength. The idea of being exiled from the synagogue by unbelieving Jews that persecuted the church. As I've spoke about in the previous few episodes, they were exiled. They were cast out. They were cast away. They, they kept his word. They didn't deny his name. And they held fast to his word of patience, not giving up and being patient in affliction. And we see in Revelation 3.11, our text verse, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And so we see here in Revelation uh, 3, uh, I'll say, I'll start in verse 8 here. Uh, Jesus speaking, I know the wor thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet to know that I have loved thee. And so we see in verses eight and nine that Jesus Christ has seen the faithfulness of the church of Philadelphia, this little church that had been cast away from the synagogue because they believed in the Messiah. They believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they held fast that belief. They didn't compromise. They probably would have been welcomed back into the synagogue uh, if they had just denied the name of Christ, but they didn't. They kept the faith. They weren't ashamed. They didn't deny Jesus. They lived by how he, they believed that he wanted them to live, and he saw that. And this is what he says, Jesus Christ says he's going to do for them. Uh, verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And so we see here that Jesus is going to keep them from the hour of temptation. It's going to come upon all the world to try the world. And that in the meantime, they should hold fast. Let no man take thy crown. Think of the crown as an Olympic wreath, the reward, not something a king wears. During this time, there was the Ithamen games. And these games, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, they're kind of a uh, precursor to the Olympic games. They're similar to the Olympics, except they met every two years. And the winner would get a crown. They would get a wreath they wear on their head. I think of it as like an Olympic medal. And this again happened every two years. It was a huge event. There was only one winner, winner take all. Before you participated in the event, uh, you had to take an oath that you'd follow the rules or be disqualified. And in this comparison that Jesus makes and, and this promise that Jesus uh, provides and, and this, this warning that Jesus gives to the Church of Philadelphia, there's so much to take away from this. The idea of a crown as not a kingly ornament, but a reward, an emblem of victory, festivity, and joy, a symbol of a race accomplished, completed, and well-run. Jesus is saying, don't let anyone take that crown, right? Don't, don't let them take that crown. Jesus is saying, that crown that you got because you took an oath to follow me, you pledged to make me Lord and Savior, and you kept that pledge. You were not disqualified. You ran the race like there'd only be one winner. And you ran the race as the winner. You received this crown because you've been faithful. And we see here this beautiful truth that Jesus Christ is painting a picture of just like the winner of that uh, earthly mortal game, 
would receive that crown, so those that overcome this world that are faithful to him will receive this heavenly reward. But isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ himself in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11 says, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So what was it that they had? They had Christ and they had faith that no man take thy crown. He's saying that someone could take their crown. Don't confuse this for salvation. Jesus isn't saying that they won't be saved. What he's saying is hold fast to your faith in me, even though in the, in the spite of persecution and affliction and trying troubling times, I just got out of my wife's office, our home office, you know, work from home. And we're talking about um, some missionaries that we know that have been through a lot of trying times and how hard it is. And the Lord's kind of allowed us to see it up close a little bit. We're talking about how uh, just challenging it is in, in some respects to be a foreign missionary, you know, and seeking deputation and also ministering to the church and all of these obstacles that you face in this modern post COVID era, if you will. And, uh, okay. So whether you're a missionary or whether you just work at a job or whatever it is, you believe in the Lord, you have faith in God. He's called you to a work. You are living out your life in, in honor and faith to him. Don't let anyone take your crown. How would they take your crown? How would they do it? I believe here it's through temptation. And so the Lord says he's going to keep the church of Philadelphia from that hour of temptation that, that's going to try the whole world, okay? And in, in modern day terms, we can look at that as the tribulation period. The Lord's going to take a, her, his church, us, the bride, amen, that's why I said her. So his church, the bride, he's going to take us home before the tribulation period. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture that the Lord will come in the clouds. He will take us home. Dead in Christ shall rise first. And the, the rest of us that uh, are alive and remain should be called up to be with him forever, amen? So we're going to get called up we're going to avoid that hour of temptation, which would be those seven years, the tribulation period. But do we face tr temptation today? <laughs> do we ever? Amen. I would say the world is as tempting a place today to fall into sin and to lose our reward, our heavenly crown, than it's ever been. Amen. There is sin all around us. Sin has been normalized. Another word is people are desensitized to sin. It is nothing to see sin everywhere. I'm in the rural areas. I remember spending two or three years out here and then going back uh, to New York City uh, where I had family living to go there. And I, my jaw was on the floor at how sinful and wicked it looked and it seemed and it was. Amen. And I spent many years in New York and I, I love New York in that sense of it's where I grew up. But I have to be honest, that city looked godless and wicked. And that was a decade ago. I can't imagine now, but even in these rural areas, the people are absolutely sinning left, right, and center. They're putting profanity on bumper stickers. They're walking around boasting of relationships that are not as God designed them to be, homosexuality. They are living drunken and uh, criminal uh, ways. I mean, I, my brother-in-law is a state trooper, and I hear about the evil in this world. It's disgusting, and it's everywhere, and it, it does seem to be growing worse and worse. And the temptation is, for the Christian, why even try? Why even seek God, right? Just what are we supposed to do but live in the world? Hey, the world does it. Because the world does it, it should be okay. First John 2.16 for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And then here, Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have what the lust of the flesh is, the things of the world, the carnal desires. Think of things that tempt you for immediate gratification, drugs, sexual immorality, drinking, on and on, right? Those are the temptations. And in order for us to conquer those, we are to walk in the spirit. And Jesus is saying, just hold fast, stay close to me, have faith so you don't lose your crown. Once we're saved, we're always saved. Salvation is secure. I believe the Bible communicates that purely, that Christ died once for all mankind. But for those that would accept his free gift of salvation, of course, we have to accept the free gift. The free gift is there, but we still have to accept it. But just because he's died for us, just because we've accepted him as Savior, does not guarantee or ensure a heavenly reward. Just because someone got into the race in the Ithaman Games, in the Olympic Games now, just because they enter the race, that doesn't mean that they get the reward, does it? They have to run the race. And back then, there was only one winner. Now you got bronze and silver and gold and so forth. But back then, there was only one winner. So you had to run that race with the absolute mindset that you will win the race. And what God has called you today to do, to live for him, not out of salvation, not out of works, but out of a love and devotion for him, and to overcome the temptation of this world, to be separate from this world, to live apart from the wicked things of this world. It may be as simple as canceling Netflix. It may be as hard as throwing out all the beer and the liquor in the cabinet. It may be as difficult as going into rehab, or it may be as, as challenging as speaking to your wife or your husband about an affair you've been having, or telling your boss you've been stealing money. Whatever it is, we are called to be set apart from this world and to live godly, not how the world says we should live, profane and carnal and all this, but to live godly. And where do we get that word? We get it in his word. And so how do we do this? How do we have faith to do this? Uh, I believe it's the book of Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to get into God's word, have faith that we won't lose our crown by trusting him and living for him as the church of Philadelphia did. And they received eternal blessings for it. And we will as well, if we hold fast to the fundamental belief that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Tune in next time. Thank you so much. Take care. God bless. Amen. Thanks for visiting the cafe today. Our goal is to inspire you with the truth and depth of God's word in a straightforward manner. Do you know Jesus? You can today. Visit kjvcafe.com to learn more about God's great plan of salvation for all of mankind. Until next time. Remember, as Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 puts it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.